Welcome into the TKW podcast. As you can tell, this is not Anthony Corbo, who you can follow on Twitter at Corbo Anthony. He's not here tonight. He has real life shit he has to be doing. So I'm Brian Giberman at Brian Giberman on Twitter here with Kyle Maggio. You can follow him at Kyle Maggio. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe the Knicks Wall podcast on iTunes. You can also follow the podcast at TKW. KW podcast and of course at the Knicks wall where you find everything with Knicks wall content Kyle what's going on man uh, break up the Knicks huh three wins in four games Dude, I mean these are these are good quality wins I mean these these felt I mean the magic aren't as I don't know. The, the Magic are fine, but they weren't. It wasn't like that Spurs game. Like beating the Spurs, although they're not the Spurs of old, felt really good. I mean, it's still a talented team. It's still a good team, but um, just just exciting, you know. Led by the kids, it's it's it feels good to watch winning basketball again, even if it's brief. I'm enjoying it very much. The so the fourth quarter of that Magic game, I mean, Alonzo Trier and Mitchell Robinson just. That was in between the both of them was incredible. I mean, Trier, what he had sixteen points on five shots in that game. I yeah, think it was. Yeah, I think he started four for four, and he was I think he seven to seven from the line, or he went to the line seven times. Um, but but yeah, he like just didn't miss at all. You know, just the most efficient game you could have basically. Um, so Trier was tremendous. Oh my! And that one disgusting, filthy. Spin dribble between his legs to the rim that he did was just ah. Uh. Trier had 18 points on five shots, was nine of ten from three, added in five rebounds, two assists, and three steals. Mitchell Robinson, 17 points, 14 rebounds, six blocks, and three steals. That's his second straight game with 14 rebounds. He's hit 10 of 13 from the free throw line over these two wins. The step he's taking forward is just wild. It's impressive how dominant he looks. And remember how it was almost a month ago we were talking about who the best Knicks rookie had been thus far? And you had said Mitch at the time, and I said, I like, I'd want to agree with you, but he just doesn't stay in the game consistently enough right now. Like, he's in and out of the game too long, you know, and... Uh, it it was affecting you know basically his development because he he just couldn't get a, a rhythm and a flow. So, but like Trier to me, I had felt like at the time was the most consistent rookie, the best rookie, just because he had give he gives you the most consistent effort every night. But then Mitch, since the trade has just been a, a different animal. This is everything we could have hoped for. The fouls have he's cut down dramatically. Um, he he's. And he's still hunting the blocks, but now he gets to stay in the game because he's not fouling anymore, and he's just punching these shots. And it, my favorite thing was they asked him um, before the last game, 
you know, if you got big minutes, like around 30 minutes a game, you know, how many blocks do you think you could average? And he's like, um, six. I think I can get six. And nobody, nobody thought that seemed unreasonable. Like everyone's just like, yeah, actually, that that's maybe what could happen, you know. And then he goes out the very next game and he gets six blocks. And you just love to see that, you know, you really do. Ten games in February. 10.9 points on 69% shooting, 8.9 rebounds, and 3.3 blocks per game. Just strong across the board. My favorite thing looking at his numbers, in January, in December in seven games, he shot 37.5% from the free throw line. January in seven games, he shot 26.5%, uh, 26.7% from the free throw line. And then all of a sudden, 10 games in February, he's shooting 71.9% from the free throw line. Just every, He's just improving in – it was the fouls. We wanted him to get better at that. He did. Mm-hmm. I wanted him to get better at catching and trafficking and finishing. He's already improved in that. Positional yep. defense, which contributes to the first one, he's getting better at that. The free throws, which is just – and then just out of nowhere, it's like, oh, now his free throw stroke is smoother and he's getting better at that. The rebounding, this, too. The rebounding is yeah. impressive. Oh, man. It's just across the board. And, if and you, I have a, go. No, you go. I, I have a rant. Let I, you go. I, I, I was just going to say, and if you, if you remember, I was still skeptical about his rebounding, too. Because I was like, that's the other thing is, like, if he's going to play these big minutes, he's got to get rebounds. And I was like, until he starts doing that more consistently, too. And then, again, look, because remember, for a while, he's given you, like, these little three or two rebound games. And it's like, you know, I I understand that a lot of the time it's he's out of position. He's he's looking for these blocks. And, you know, sometimes he just gets tossed out of the way. But, you know, you still got to – you're a big boy. You're you're going to be in starting NBA center. You got to learn to get uh, at least seven, eight rebounds game, you know. And now he's, again, doing just that. So both the things that I griped about needing to see – like instantly, instantly, just like you said about like the free throws and everything else. Now he's rebounding well. Back to back fourteen point, uh, fourteen rebound games, back to back double doubles, just infinity blocks right now. It's, it's, it's fun. It's fun, and we needed somebody to take a big step up like this after the trade, too. And I, I feel a little bit better now. He's he's legitimately changing the complexion of the future because he's giving you that guy that if other players come here and sign, you're like, at this point, say KD and Kyrie signed here. I would be like, I think you can win a championship with Mitchell Robinson, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving as your three best players. I don't think that's an absurd thing to say. It, it, it sounds a little spicy. It it shouldn't, but it sounds a little spicy because, but because like when we look at what he just did the last couple of games, like of course if he's doing if he's doing that, you know if that if that's going to be the player you're getting every game, then that yeah, yeah. But hold on, let me go. So so what about this recent stretch is unsustainable or not possible? It's well, not like he's doing. No, no, no. That, that, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I think it is sustainable. It's just I, I need to see it. I guess you know, just because we haven't seen it, a ton of consistency, and now he's going to start getting the big minutes to do this. I hope. So I, I just need to see it. I guess to really believe in it. But again, if he's going to play like this, 
which is the, exactly what he's been doing. Is just, I, I guess so. Yeah, you need you need an interior presence like that. You need somebody who can alter a game dramatically with his defense, and um, even on the offensive side too. I don't think those guys get enough credit the way they you know roll to the rim and and what that does to a defense. Um, and you saw last night, like they just. You know, they would switch or they would double, you know, or, or kind of hedge hard and go after the guard. And they would leave Mitch. I mean, how many labs did he get last night? It, it just felt like he always had a lane. I, it, it, I don't know, it was a lot of fun to watch. But yeah, continue. But I'm on, I, I'm on the record as saying I think his, like, archetype of players is a little bit overvalued in the league. This dude, he's different. This is different. He's his... I think how he can finish because of his size and length gives you a little bit more of an advantage. It feels very go bear like. Yes. I feel like yes. I feel like he like arrived the same way. Like the Jazz were kind of like I wouldn't say flailing, but you know they were just like an okay whatever with Gordon Hayward and then like they got Gobert like Gobert like arrived once he started getting the minutes. And all of a sudden it was just like, "Oh shit, look at the Jazz. They're fun and exciting. They have this monster interior pre- like i just felt like the the switch went off for them this is happening even quicker with mitch though i don't think that really happened with gobert as a rookie to this extent like mitch is blowing up in a bigger way than gobert did at a young at the same season okay no just looking the last last thing on mitch before i go on a tiny rant Looking at his NBA.com page, there's so much like strange shit here that's just not. <laughs> I like. I think looking in the month, it broken down by months. From October to January, he had one double double. He has four in February. Three before the All Star break, two post All Star break. And the thing that Fizdale did that I really liked on the last podcast, I talked about he needs to start being treated like the best player on the team. And I think that last game, he kind of finally got treated like the best player on the team. I would agree with that. I think the way Fizdale talks about him in the press conferences, you can see it. Um, he's beaming about him all the time. I'm sure a little bit of it is it, a little bit of it is just a little showmanship. But um, I think it was after the I think it was after the Magic game that he was just like, oh, like this kid is. You know, he's gonna be special. Like look at the you know, hit the names he's putting himself with right now, you know, with these games that he's having, like, you know, those are some historic names and like he's just gu- he's just gushing about him. And again, to your point, like you do wanna see him treated like the best player of this team because, you know, w- w- look at how much it like impact just those last couple of games he's had. You can on both sides of the floor, you just like feel his presence in the game. So I, it, you do love to see Fizdale talk about him like that. It, it's it's nice to see the, the coach kind of come out and gush. And we're less than a month removed from idiot fans in MSG chanting for Enos Cantor to play while Mitchell Robinson was on the court. Don't ever forget that that was a thing that happened. Mm-hmm. And the entire beat and national NBA writers were ripping on Fizdale and the Knicks for sitting Cantor and – playing this kid and other kids like i brought i went i tweeted these out today but like steve popper like this is on on january 25th 
Enos Cantor might be the Knicks MVP tonight, chance from the crowd and the team getting pummeled on the boards as he sits. That was while Mitchell Robinson was on the court plan. David Fisdale, Brooklyn benching of Enos Cantor, backfires famously, feud ratchets up. Again, for playing Mitchell Robinson, we were talking up Enos Cantor. Stefan Bondi, same thing from the Brooklyn game. Fisdale said he doesn't fit their style of play. Sitting Enos Cantor for Mitchell Robinson, who's now the best player on the team. And what he reached, this is four days ago. Four days ago, Brian Mahoney. Enos Cantor is six for six for 12 points so far in his Portland debut. Not bad for a guy who was demoted behind Luke Cornett. That got retweeted by Stefan Bondi. Like these guys all look fucking ridiculous. And I have you heard seen one of them go, well, that was pretty stupid that we were ripping on the Knicks for sitting this guy for, in part, Mitchell Robinson to play. No, that they always seem to have a guy. There's always like a there's always like an odd guy that they have every year, and it's always a guy who like hasn't been around all that long. Like before Cantor, it was Derrick Rose. Remember the Der- like it, it was strange with Derrick Rose, and he got the Good Guy Media Award, and I was like, okay, sure, that's okay, whatever, man. Like that makes sense, I guess. And it always just feels like that's. How it is. I, I I don't know. It's always like somebody who's on the outs. But it was it, it looks bad for them. It, it does look bad. Howard Beck. Anyway, their refusal to play Cantor clearly isn't about basketball. That's part of a longer tweet. That's the part that hits fast. It's tremendous. It is. It's good tremendous time. content. Good content, guys. Thank you for doing that. All right. Despite winning 304... The Knicks are still going to have a high pick in this upcoming 2019 NBA draft. Mike Cortez, he's going to be on with us in a little bit. He did drop the third edition of his draft board over at thenickswall.com. Go check that out. Also happening in the future, July 1st, free agency is at the forefront of all of our minds. We hit our tea leaves segment where each episode or whenever the appropriate uh, – and uh, some news that fits into what we're looking at here going forward with free agency. We talk about it. And what we got on this one is Kyrie Irving, the Celtics, how much, what they got stomped by the Raptors, right? Is that who they got embarrassed by? What tonight? No, no. The like two nights ago, wasn't that a Tuesday night, Tuesday night. The Celtics got smacked by the Raptors. They're playing right now. There's 550 left. They're down by four to the Blazers in the fourth quarter. And so it was another embarrassing loss. I think he only had four points. And Stephen A. Smith had this to say about Irving on one of the 18 million shows he does on ESPN. And then you hear about Danny Ainge sitting next to Kyrie Irving in the locker room, talking to him and what have you, trying to, trying to assuage concerns to some degree. In the end, what it comes down to, Kyrie Irving, when you talk about him being his team, 
it's not the Boston Celtics. It's Danny Ainge's team. It's Brad Stevens' team. Their willingness to insert Gordon Haywood into the mix prematurely, which compromised a lot of what they wanted to do offensively, not defensively. Even though to some degree they fall off defensively, they're still a top-ten defensive team. Eighth against three-pointers, eighth overall defensively. Bottom line is I watched that last night, and I said to myself, this ain't the place for Kyrie Irving. Come July 1, he's gone. Yeah, I, I don't Ky, – the Kyrie's the one I can't really talk myself into all the way. Like, I, I think a lot of it, you know, like the All-Star Game video and stuff, I think that was for show. I, I think they knew what they were doing. Um, I, I think maybe he know, like maybe he knows Durant would be coming. Um, but I, I can't see – I can't talk myself into Kyrie yet. I, I can't. I, I don't know. It feels like too much of a reach. I still don't know why he'd leave Boston. Um but I am enjoying seeing him look miserable in Boston. Um, I enjoy seeing those pictures float across my timeline. Uh, they got gobsmacked by the Raptors last night. Um, I believe on Saturday night they got crushed by the Chicago Bulls. Yes, the Chicago Bulls. Um, who are playing better, to be fair. Who are playing better, but these are the, these are the supposed-to-be-contending Boston Celtics. And it, I, those you don't lose those games. You shouldn't lose those games. And uh, it's just funny. It's just very funny to me. Uh, Brad Einstein is coaching once again for his job. So it's it's enjoyable. I hope they I hope they implode. I hope he leaves. But I just can't talk myself into it yet. The Bulls are about. They're going to win again. They're going to beat the Grizzlies. People are going to have to take a Mia Culpa on Jim Bo- all the Jim Boylan smashing that happened. That his, his quotes were just so funny. Like it, that was like typical old school coach, like te- like from the fifties, like he, like those kinds of rules. You know, everything he said just felt like that guy. And like, what, I don't know, whatever he's doing is working now. It well, getting Lori Markinen back has something. Just it, it helps with that, but still, like, out of anyone that I would have been like, this team's gonna turn it around and look functioning the way because I'm with you. The way that dude talked, like, I thought that team was gonna st- was more likely to storm off in the middle of a game than them to start playing really good basketball together. Yeah. So that's Irving. We had we haven't really seen anything else on Durant. So that's what's happening in regards to the free agency in the future, we are going to get into the draft up next. But first, Eli Cohen, you can follow him at T half court press on Twitter. He takes a look at why Kevin Knox is the biggest test for the Knicks development program. You can see that at the Knicks All right. The 2019 draft is on the way. It's on, when is it June, late June, July, Late June, right before free agency. I love how quickly everything flows from the finals to just getting right into next season. That's awesome. But we got Mike Cortez here with us. You can follow him at Cortez Era on Twitter. He just had his 13th, 13th, third edition of his draft board drop at thenixwall.com. Mike, first, why don't you just take us through what uh, your order is for this one real quick? Sure. Yeah, so top two's kind of cleared itself from the rest of the field it's zion number one rj number two and then three through six is where it gets a little weird right now i have ja morant at three um 
Cam Reddish at uh, four, and then wrap it up with Culver and Romeo Langford at five and six. So we've touched a lot on the top two, just in varying degrees with you and without you, because we've all seen Duke a little bit. Say they did fall to six. How do you think that would play out for the Knicks? See, this is kind of the worst case scenario because it kind of forces the front office's hand up to where they really think this summer is going to go. So if they think Kyrie and Durant are coming, you might be better served, A, moving the pick. And if you can't move the pick for a win-now piece, I think you got to go with Culver. It's the reason I gave him the nod over Langford. I still like Langford more personally. I think he has a higher chance of being a star where Culver has a chance of being a very good player, but just a role player. So for now, I say Culver just because the talk around Durant is just so good. And then... I'm watching the Celtics lose right now, so they're just deteriorating. So right now I'm kind of guess going with the plan that they are going to get two superstars in the summer. So let me ask you this, because I've actually caught Culver a little bit twice while running at the gym, so I'm now an expert for seeing him play for about 45 <laughs> minutes combined. Hey, it only takes one YouTube clip. Yeah, and then – but I looked at his – numbers to Barrett's numbers like in even so like per 40 and if you broke it down like in conference and out of conference Mm -hmm. them both together and it's kind of wild how similar they are what what makes Barrett stick out more over Culver and not them maybe a little bit more closer together like the number show for RJ it's just I could definitely see RJ I could see RJ's floor being way higher than Culver because RJ's he just looks bigger. He's a bigger person. He could guard one through three. I think Culver has more of an overlap with Dotson, but RJ also has a higher chance of having a good three-point shot. Culver can hit a shot, and his three-point percentage has been all right. Nothing great. I believe it's low 30s. Let me double-check. But I just see RJ's floor higher. I also see RJ being more of a star than Culver is. So I think... Worst comes to worst, if you told me who to pick out of being a star, I would say RJ, Zion, RJ, Ja, and then past that, I would probably say like Langford, maybe even Nazir Little, if he got time. I kind of hope they get Ja Moran. I, I'm I'm more open to it than I was before. I'm really I don't know. I might be in love with Dennis Smith because I don't want him to go now. What do you guys think about a potential Ja Dennis backcourt as a pivot? This will be like we're not really sure we're getting Durant or Kyrie. Jaws, the best player at three. Do you think he could fit with Dennis Smith? I mean, from what you guys have seen on Twitter or YouTube, haven't seen. I haven't seen enough. So, like, my judgment is just based off the skill set that people have watched them have said. So, I this is not this is non-binding for me. But I lean towards no. That's probably not really a fit that I would like. Okay. I was just going to say, I don't think it's a a fit that I would necessarily love, but I do think that's if you're going to want to have overlap anywhere, I guess it would be with guards. You know, I I think they could be dynamic enough to make it work. Um, And, again, I I think they still have to go best player available, and I think if that's him at three, you know, then you got to do that kind of thing and figure it out later. Uh, see if he can move one of them or, pa- or package somebody. I, I I don't know what you would do at that point, but I, you know, I, th- I think that's where you'd want to have that kind of a problem anyway. How right. how Mike? How much of a difference do you see between Morant at three and the other guys behind him, or is it close enough that you would take positional concerns into account? 
I think the top tier is pretty sizable before like Morant and then Reddish. I think Morant, Zion, and RJ are guys that you could definitely see becoming stars, and you can already see it how they play now. And then you see guys like Reddish. Reddish is the best role player, I think, in this draft, where you can definitely see him as a floor spacer and possibly a defensive guy. I did not expect him to be as good in defense as he is. He's actually super long. I didn't know his wingspan was 7-1. And against Syracuse, he was just he looked like Paul George, like a mini Paul George, just for that game, obviously. Hmm. But he looked really good on the outside, and he was garbage on offense, but his defense helped keep them in the game. The the thing with the Duke kids is they just remember in the summer league when Knox had his little coming out party, and we were yeah. watching the summer league. Knox just looked like he didn't belong there. He just jumped off the screen, you know, like he just it was different. Like that's how it is watching the Duke kids. Like you could feel it, you know. I, I'm not maybe as high on RJ as I am for Zion, but you, you can still see it with RJ. You know, like I can still see like that's definitely going to be a good NBA player. You know, I don't know how how good, but you could definitely see, like, that's going to be a good NBA player. I feel that way for Zion. I, I really do feel that way for John Morant, too. But, you know, reddish him on the fence a little bit. But then it's like the other guys, it's like I have to talk myself into a little bit, you know? And yeah. I, I think it does kind of fall off a cliff because I do think those, like, first three or four could be very high-level players. I know some people really do love Cam Reddish. But um, after that, it is kind of, Iffy. I've seen a couple people really high on Culver. I, I like his game, but um, it's it it is a, a pretty steep drop off after those first three or four. Yeah, yeah. It's just reddish. More on reddish is just I, you have to also take into account that he's sharing the ball with two people that do not pass the ball. So he would jump right into. I don't know what he could look like by himself. So he, that's the only thing with him. The only caveat, I should say. But like I said, I think in terms of like if you're getting a bang for your buck for a, a star lottery ticket, it's Morant, RJ, Zion. John Morant is starting to feel very Dame Lillard like. Do you remember yes. the way Dame Lillard like appeared? Yep. It, it was like beginning of the season, nothing, just nothing whatsoever, and then all of a sudden, like a good first month, you hear like the whispers. Second month, everyone's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, he's pretty good, pretty good. Small school, pretty good though, pretty good." And all of a sudden, it's yep. like third or fourth month. It's like, hey, he's, he's really putting up phenomenal numbers, guys. Pay attention despite the competition. And it's like, then all of a sudden, it's like in your face. And it's like now he's always brought up with the Duke boys. It's like the Duke kids and Jabba Rant. Like that's all yeah. that our mentions are filled with. And so it feels very, very Dame Lillard like to me. Yeah, and he came on the draft. It's funny when you say that because I first came across him because I was on uh, mockdraft.net. And I saw Ja to the Knicks. I was like, who the hell is this guy? And then I heard KD mention. I was like, oh, shit, maybe this guy's pretty good. And then sure enough, you go on a rabbit hole, and you're like, oh, this guy's pretty good. So I think now if if Damon Lillard like, was to come up now, he'd have the same coverage as Ja. Ja's really benefited off like Instagram and the whole boom of just Twitter highlights overall. And his numbers, I remember when McCollum came out, I was I was writing for uh, ArizonaSports.com, and I went and pulled basically all the numbers from every small school star I could think of that ended up being good in the NBA. And I would bet money Morant's numbers fell into that grouping of player. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, he's just been a consistent monster. 
And, I mean, the only problem with him is how much do you buy into the talent level that he's currently playing at? I mean, he is playing a couple, like, nobodies, like UNC. I think I can't remember this last school he played. UT Martin, I think it was. So it's like, who the hell is he really playing? But I think a decent, like, just one good tourney game, I think he becomes, like, one or two on other people's draft boards. It's it's a rare case of where you actually should put some stock into the into the tournament, and that wouldn't be a complete overreaction. You do yeah. you never want to just judge by one game, but like the shooting, you don't care about. Like, but you want to see how he fits out. You just want to kind of see and watch how he fits out there against better athletes across the floor, rather than just maybe like one or two guys being top level athletes out there. Right, yeah, and like last year, I know he faced West Virginia, which I thought was one of the better defenses. They locked up Trey Young, and Ja faced him, and he shot fifty percent from the field, played pretty much the whole game. So, I think I'm not worried about his talent level per se, uh, his talent competition, but that's just me. Yeah, for him, I I know a good good friend of uh, the brand, Joe Nardone, was talking about he the, the competition level for Ja a lot. Uh, Joe likes him as a player, I believe, quite a bit, but he's just, you know, very concerned about the numbers because of the competition. Um, I'm a little bit less worried about it, just watching his game. Um, I do think that there's more legitimacy to it, despite the competition, but teach their own. I obviously respect Joe's opinion, um, but I, I do, I, I just, I do think Ja's going to be okay, more or less, I I just I see a good player there. I see somebody who's going to be able to play in the NBA without much of an issue. Yeah, and when you're going with these guys, I guess the surest bet beyond physical tools is like the right frame of mind. And everything you read on Ja is like this guy's a basketball genius. This guy sees stuff before everyone else on the floor does, and that's like a common thread with Zion and RJ too. Like they just know what to do at the right time, which shouldn't be undervalued. Like that's like the only thing I could really bet on because we don't really know what's going to happen talent-wise with any of these guys. Even Zion could be a bust. As our resident draft expert, who's the one guy that you don't have on your board that you're kind of like, hmm, he might have to be shifted up soon? I started with the Gonzaga kid. I've been I've heard a lot about him. At, uh, Rui, I'm going to butcher his name, but Rui Hachimara. I know nothing about him, but his name's been popping up a lot. He's tall. He could be a good – like kind of what Cornette is, but like again, do we really want to use a guy that's similar to Cornette at that like at that high in the draft? No. I, yeah. I, I just want high upside guys. I, I don't know – I feel like they have enough young guys now where like some guy – like Mitch, like some guys are going to start to take strides and emerge, but I feel like despite – the strong and heavy speculation about Kevin Durant this summer, I feel like you just still can't bet on that happening and you got a draft like that isn't going to happen. Um, or at least that's how we, we have to analyze it, you know? Well, and, well, no, they'll know by that point. They, 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 they'll know, but I'm saying, like, right now, the way we have to look at it, it's like February. I, I don't want to think about, well, how is he going to fit with Kevin Durant just yet? Yes. So, yeah, so. Um, I, I just think you got to, like, just keep – throwing the darts with the, with these high upside guys like Mitch. You know, you took Mitch, he was later on, you know, he was a really early second round pick, which, you know, those are pretty valuable. But, um, you know, he still got taken in the second round, and he's a high upside guy. You know, that's what we heard about him. You know, hey, this could really 
ton of talent there, but who knows if they can make it work. And now it's working. And I feel like that's what they have to keep taking chances on, not guys that project to be, like, safe floor types, you know? Yeah, exactly. They did did the same with Knox, too. I mean, that was a high upside pick. That's true. That's true. Yeah, because they knew they were throwing this season. Like, they knew this season was being thrown away. So they said, let's just throw as much shit to the wall and see what sticks. I I just think that's the way you have to go with it. Yeah, unless you get a guarantee. And like I said, that's a big reason I like Romeo because I think Romeo is a great lottery ticket. Um, Nazir Little is probably, if we had to go a little lower to answer Brian's question, um, probably Nazir Little is probably the one guy I would be like, this is it. Like, this is the one I would bet the bank on past the top three. That dude gave me Stanley Johnson vibes when I watched him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he, he plays so little it's and it's weird he plays near the rim which is so stupid when you watch all of his highlights i could see him being a noah vonley case in the sense that if some coach was just like here here's the ball just dribble i think he'd be so much better than what he's doing at unc so you think it's a coaching issue when he's a lot more skilled yeah i think he's being forced i think it's kind of similar what dennis smith had in dallas where he was kind of be confined to a system where it just didn't bring out the best in him. And Nas, all the reports I read and the one the few times I've seen him, it's been like he's not really free to do what he wants. He's kind of just playing within the system. All right, Mike, anything else you want to get out there or plug? No, just uh, follow me, Cortez era. Follow the Knicks wall. Um, check out the Reed Goldsmith highlights. Those have been really good recently. And, of course, the podcast. All right, thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate it. All right, man, thank you. Well, Mike did the plug. I was just about to himself. That was well done. Good hosting the show, Mike, even though you didn't know you were doing it. But the Knicks Wall is more than just a website. Make sure you follow us on all mediums, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Am I missing anything? You're, like, in charge of all this shit, not me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, uh, Twitch. Um, You know, just subscribe and review the podcast, and that's... Pretty much it. I don't think there's more. What kind of weird shit do you guys do on Twitch? Um, twi- Twitch is, and I'm not trying to sound like I'm begrudgingly doing Twitch or anything. I, I actually I, I enjoy it. But Twitch is um, you're, scr- you're streaming your, your TV screen, basically, when you're playing video games. And... That you can do other things too. Like I have a camera for it. You can like do little show type things. But that's all. It's basically like a uh, live pod of sorts that we're playing video games with. So like we'll do we'll do like two K pregame shows. We'll play like the matchup before the game. Sometimes we'll do like throwback games like the night before matchup. If it's like Heat Knicks the next night, we'll play like the the '90s Heat versus the '90s Knicks. So little things like that. Do people actually go and watch this stuff? Yes, yes. Um, and I, I'm again, pe- people teach their own. People like watching it. Um, I, I know the the 2K League was very popular. Um, you know, shout out the uh, Knicks Gaming Champions won the uh, inaugural season. Um, but people watch ours. Yeah, I mean, not a ton. We just started it up, but people are in fact watching. So it's just. 
I, you ever see a uh, last thing before we get back on track? You ever see like kids these days? If you give them like your phone or something to go on YouTube, they pull up people playing with toys. Have the you... whole watching people play video games thing is strange to me. I don't get it. Yeah, it's again like to me. I like for two K. I would I I would like watching that more than I I never watched someone play like Fortnite. You know, but like the 2K games, like when they had the league going, I would actually watch that because that's like a competition still. Like it's still a video game, but at least it's like a competition. It's still basketball to a degree. But um, but like we stream Fortnite and people watch it. You know, it's just it's some people, for whatever reason, the younger demographics they enjoy doing that. That's their thing. So. All right, so go watch all the guys from the Knicks world play video games on Twitch. So the Celtics did lose to the Trailblazers, 97-92, and that was with Kyrie going off for 31-5. and (laughs) That's, yes, thank you. Part of the reason the Celtics have hit this stretch of why they're as good as they are is the Nets and the Kevin Garnett-Paul Pierce trade. That was completely ridiculous. A person who was a part of the Nets front office at the time was now works for ESPN. His name is Bobby Marks. He did, along with Chris Herring and and Kevin Pelton, a top 25 under 25 list. All right, so here's my thing. I'm not really into lists anymore and stuff. I I don't care about them. I don't think they matter. It's just... You're arguing about small, little, like, tiny differences between players, and it's really not that big of a deal. Did you look over the entire list these three guys did? Yes. Yes, I did. And uh, I'm another – I don't like lists because lists are – nobody's ever going to agree on lists. That's just – People value different things differently, and and nobody's equation ever seems to be the same with how much they weigh certain things or, or, you know, offense versus defense versus somebody's IQ or you just – there's a lot that goes into everybody's – the way your rankings would differ from mine and somebody else's. So I I hate lists too. I agree with you. Um, Tears is the route to go, by the way. Just, Just do tears. Tears, tears so, is the safest bet. So, like with Chris, Har- a friend of the program, Chris Herring, like he had D'Angelo Russell instead of Trey Young. That would be like a nitpick for me. But like most of us, I'm like, oh yeah, this all makes sense. Kevin Pelton, he had what well, was he has Mitchell a little higher than I would at this point. But he uh, and Marcus Smart in there is a little strange to me. But it's like, all right. Fine, I, I have no real problem with what he does. And then I looked at at Bobby Marks's list, and you're just like, "All right, this is why this dude is working for ESPN and not in the NBA anymore. He's an idiot." Is that too harsh? Yeah, probably a little harsh. But what? one, go ahead. Oh, no, no, but no, please go ahead. <laughs> Let's start with the first thing that jumped out. He has Donovan Mitchell ahead of Luca. On what planet, Luca is better at 19 in his rookie year than Mitchell is in his second year. And he's also having a better rookie year than Mitchell did. I don't even think that's particularly close. 
Yeah. Who, who had, where is it? See, yeah, Pelton had Luca second. Herring had him sixth. It's like, all right, that's, I have no problem. Like, it's, I'd probably have him a little bit more I, on the higher side, but sixth, I, I the thought, people he, I, Yeah, I thought Herring's was fair. Yeah, and the people who he had above him, like, all right, cool. Yeah, Pelton really, really loves. Like, I, I, I personally wouldn't have Jokic or Embiid. I, I'd probably have him more where Herring does, but it's more the people that were after him make sense in that one. Like, having Donovan Mitchell before Luka, I'm just like, how? And that's not even close to the dumbest thing Marks did. Yeah, I, the, the dumbest thing Marks did, and I can't believe that I have to be the guy to, to say it. Um, is it uh well a couple of things? But isn't KP? <laughs> there's so there's a lot in is, here. Is it isn't KP a little low? No, I I can understand that with the risk factor. To, to me, Pel- to me, Pelton got it right. If you're being as cautious as you should be, Herring Herring's what like my gut is on KP, but I think Pelton's where more or less. I thought like tennis is where he deserved to be injury and all, but I, I thought putting him down at 15 was a little bit too, a little too low. There's so many things. Well, J- Jared Jer- Jackson Jr. and Trey Young being 23 and 24 bother me quite a bit. Um, I don't get Jalen Brown being over those guys. Um, I, I think I think Jalen's a good young player, but he I, I don't see him taking like that that star leap. I just see him being like a very very good high level starter. Um, but. Uh, you still haven't said the dumbest thing yet. Well, well first of all, how is the Aaron Fox number thirteen? Um, that is, that is Herring's the only one who got it right at number seven, and that is seven spots too low. But it is what it is. Um, which, which is the one that you have a problem with? I'm trying to find it. He has Kyle Kuzma on the list. And listed right below Kyle Kuzma is Laurie Markinen and John Collins. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a quick take. Not that I would have Kyle Kuzma that high on said list, but I do think there's something for how quickly we write off guys who can score really really well. Like Kyle Kuzma comes in and is able to score, and then we're like, well, that's it. He's just a scorer. That's it. And we don't think, well, what if they keep developing that? What if they keep getting better and better at that? And Whereas we sort of romanticize other guys' development, like, oh, don't worry, the offense will come or this will come. So I don't think it's totally ridiculous to put faith in Kuzma being a better scorer in the future, like a actual like star-level scorer in the future. So if that's what he, if, if that's what he's seeing, I, I'm saying is that's what he's seeing. I'm not saying I necessarily agree, but if that's what he's seeing, I think that it's fair. I just think that's a lot of stock that he has in Kyle Kuzma. Lori, John Collins, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Trey Young all being behind Kyle Kuzma is fucking nuts. Like for example, I would probably take like. There's there's some names like I wouldn't take probably like a Nurkic 
over um, Kyle Kuzma. You know, I wouldn't take a Monte Morris over Kuzma. You know, I there, there are like I'm saying that he might make my list, but he would have been lower, like on the back end. Marvin Bagley's not on the list, and Kyle Kuzma is. And in fairness, back, while Bagley has been really good this season, he's only like truly come on strong this last like month. But um, I, I don't. I Mark seems to be whatever he looks for in basketball players seems to be much different than what the other guys are looking for. Um, he's the only guy with front office experience here, if I'm not mistaken. Pelton. Just... He he helped make the worst trade in NBA history. I, I, not... And he trade he traded. The, what turned out to be Dame Lillard for one year of Gerald Wallace. And I'm, you realize all of this very quickly as you read his list. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just saying that it's he just has a different mindset about, I guess, how basketball is played than the other guys. Cause... Okay, but but it's con- I get what you're saying, but he's also contradicting himself to all that because he's the one who has Clint Capella at 11. And no one loves Clint Capella more than me. But you can't have them over these guys that can create their own shot. So it so like how can you register Clint Capella being ahead of Kyle Kuzma, but Jaron Jackson being behind him when Jackson's the Capella type, but has more upside? Yeah, I, I'm looking at Chris's list. I think Chris mostly got it right. Besides the D'Angelo, I think all three guys are too high on D'Angelo Russell. Uh, I I do not. I think you're positively wrong there. I, no, 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 that's real. That's really. I like. I think Trey. I if I had a choice, I'm taking Trey Young over D'Angelo Russell. Okay, no, that's that's actually fair. But I I think right now, well, I guess top twenty five under twenty five would be that, but. I, I don't know. I, I think that 15 is a perfectly reasonable ranking for D'Angelo Russell. The way, the, I mean, Pelton is has him nine. I mean, he's turning into a really, really good offensive guard, and he's shooting really, really well. And I, I, I don't blame somebody for being high on him. I, I've always owned his stock, so I, I'm one of those guys that's very high on him, but... Like Trey, Trey's gonna Trey's been just oh my god Trey Young has been balling lately. Yeah, and I'm a I'm like you like if the Knicks when they got KP the guy I wanted to fall to them was Russell. I think Russell's having a fantastic season. It's just Trey Young's something different. I do I do kind of get that vibe. I just wonder how good he's gonna end up being because I think it's gonna be very good. I just wonder because I know he got a lot of those like Steph comparisons. And now we're starting to see like that hint of something special, and I wonder how far he's going to be able to take that. So we shall 30, see. Thirty uh, in in their win in their overtime win against the Timberwolves, Trey Young went for thirty six ten and eight. I was really John, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I was really hoping the Knicks got him because for a while he wasn't going to go. He wasn't like a lock to go as high. He was going to be in that sort of middleish area the Knicks might have ended up in. And I was really hoping we had a shot at getting them. And him and Fox are the ones that got away. The I would have been cool. By the end, I was rooting for Wendell Carter Jr. to fall. But I would have taken Young if he was – like if Carter Jr. or Young would have fallen, 
I definitely would have taken either of those guys. I would have loved to have seen Young and Frank play together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm happy maybe eventually we'll get to see uh, Dennis and Frank at least. But, you know, Trey and Trey and Frank would have been pretty special. Yeah, it would have been awesome. Something else that was special, Henry freaking Ellenson. Did you miss out how the Knicks beat the Magic? Reed Goldsmith has the highlights of Ellenson's first big game with the Knicks. You can see that on YouTube or at the Knickswall.com. We're going to get to what's up next on the schedule, but I just mentioned Ellenson, so let's talk about him a little bit real quick. No, it didn't. He didn't jump off the screen to me. That's one of those things that's more I thought was just a random occurrence. I kind of I might go back and watch the game again after we're done here tonight to see if my into if what I saw on first watch I want to stick by. But that just seemed more like uh, he was on the court with the right players and it kind of fell into place for him more than him having like such a huge impact on the game. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he just seemed like a regular smart basketball player. I mean, there was a couple of really nice passes and reads he made. Um, the two that come to mind, I think he had three assists, but the two that come to mind are the lob he had to Mitchell Robinson. Uh, I mean, he's a, he's a big, he's a big boy, Ellenson. And, uh, seeing him, you know, being able to dribble and then throw a, a nice little lob like that to Mitch was nice. Um, and then he, he had a nice little backdoor cut to Jenkins, and then Jenkins went up and under with the finish. And I thought that was an, another nice uh, pass there. And the, the shooting was, we, we always need three-point shooting on this team. We're, we're always missing shooters. So uh, having, hopefully, another guy who could shoot the ball like that it would be nice. So I enjoy that as well. But um just need to see more of him. He barely ever played in Detroit. I think he played like nine minutes a game. If it, I, I don't know, he just he never got he never got any floor time. So I don't have too much to say. Unfortunately, I need to see a little bit more. But I I did enjoy that last game. He had a couple of really big shots, really big threes. So um, hopefully he keeps it up. I mean, this is again uh, a team full of young guys. We we are either taking flyers on or hoping to see who can stick around for next season and. Uh, he's on a 10-day, so hopefully they just keep throwing him out there, big minutes, and we, you know, see if we can uh, keep him around a little longer. You, you didn't give him enough credit. He had five assists, not was three. Five. And, yeah, it was five. He was three of six from three-point range. Now, the stats aside, um, he didn't, like, the nine rebounds, they were all defensive, but one thing that jumped out at me when he was on the floor, the Magic had, like, two or three of those possessions where, they just grabbed like five or six offensive rebounds and it always, they had 12 as a team and it felt like those were always happening when he was, it was him on the court and they couldn't close out defensive possessions. The handle for his size and speed, I don't think, uh, and like mobility, I don't think is good enough for him to create his own shot. And I think you need a little bit of that with his, with what his body type is. And that stuff, as teams maybe get some tape on them, will get exposed a little bit. 
Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I, I I'm kind of wondering how anybody. And I'm not trying to mean this in like a slanderous way, but I'm trying to see if anybody thought he was a first round pick. Like, I don't, I don't see like. I think he went 18th too. So I mean, that wasn't, it wasn't like a nothing pick, you know. He was the best player on a Marquette team that was somewhat decent, I think. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't remember. I, I don't remember him enough in college, I guess. But um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't see, I don't see it to be honest. But hopefully, hopefully Fizdale gives him enough run these next seven or eight days that he's playing up here, and we can see. Yeah, and if I'm wrong about if my initial thoughts on him are wrong, I'll get right back here and be like, "Oh, the dude's actually good. I hope he's good. That'd be great for the that'd be great for the Knicks." Um. All right. What else do we got? All right. What we'll we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up with what's up next on the schedule. Nothing too exciting. They play. The Cavs are playing better with Kevin Love in the mix, so they host the Cavs on Thursday night. And that will be – they will try and match their season-long winning streak of three games in this one. Do you think we finally get Mitch starting? I hope so. Um, I think if we're going to stay true to that keep-what-you-kill bullshit from last summer, then I, there's no way that Mitch isn't starting. You know, um, What else would he have to do? I mean, he basically, Babe Ruth called out his shot and said, I'm going to go get six blocks, and then he went out and did it. So, I mean, he's he's doing everything that you could ask for and more. I, I don't know what else he would have to do to deserve to start. And Von Ley, I think, is a more than deserving person to be able to start uh, for this team especially. But put him at the four. I, I, I don't know, but Mitch has to start. Mitch really has to start at this point. I think that's... If he's not going to be fouling, I think you you should reward him for that. You know, that was my big issue was he, he was always fouling. And I thought that made perfect sense to just always play him off the bench. But um, if he's learning and not doing that anymore, then, yeah, you should be playing him more. And I think that means starting for him. So after that, we got they head out west at the Clippers on Sunday, at the Kings on Monday, at the Suns. On Wednesday, we're on that Wednesday one. We're either going to have to tape the next day, or I won't be there for the podcast because I am going to be heavily intoxicated. Aren't you going to be at that game? Yeah, that's why I'm going to be drunk. I'm yeah. watching the sun in the next play. <laughs> there's there's rules that we follow here. Okay, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. That was the game I went to last year was the first basketball game I ever left early. Between the two of them? Yes, it was Enos Cantor versus Greg Monroe post-ups. Devin Booker got tossed for trying to fight Enos Cantor. The fourth quarter started, and Hornacek had Burke in and not Frank. And me and I go with the Sun. My buddy who's a Suns fan every year. He's like, let's just go to the bar and watch this and drink beer instead of paying ten dollars we're not we don't need to stay in our seats i was like yeah you're right let's get the fuck out of here i've seen the only so i've been here since 2004 the only game that i haven't attended was when jr smith hit the game winner at the buzzer 
Oh, that, was every a, that was a good one. <laughs> yep. I couldn't get off of work that night. Someone else had already requested it off, and that was the one I missed. I've been to every other Nick Suns game here. I saw Tim Thomas get hurt. I saw the Ray Felton triple-double in Amari's first game back in Phoenix. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, Raymond tried... Felton part one was sensational. Raymond Felton part two was terrible. No, the Ray Felton part two was them winning 50-plus games. Oh, and, him oh, being yeah. the best and, the... player in the... and he was the best player in a playoff series I, against Celtics. I, I'm, so, I'm sorry, the, the 2013-14 season left a really bad taste in my mouth. That's until just this moment now. It blinded me to the fact that Raymond Felton was on the 2012 team because I I loved that 2012 team and I wiped <laughs> I wiped him from my memory of that team and only put him on the 2013-14 team. I remember when he got those gun charges, legitimately hoping he was gonna they were gonna somehow be able to void his contract. I really liked him. I, I was really like that. Um, that first season that we had him, I really, I really, really. He was averaging like seventeen and almost eighteen points. And, oh, like, he was. There was a chunk of the season he was like eighteen and nine, maybe even twenty. Yeah, he, and, he was a he was a fucking machine. Him and Amari, they were just they were just mowing through teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, they weren't even if they weren't winning. Those two were just putting up numbers. Like it was those two giving you buckets every night, and then if. Gallo was hitting. Maybe we had a chance, you know. And um, they they started the season like crap. And oh, then, they did. They, didn't they lose? It was like they went one and eight or something. It was like just something, something brutal like that. And then they hit a stretch of play, and they really put it all together. I remember Felton even hit that game winning three. I, I don't know if it was a two or a three, but he had a game winning jumper against the Raptors that hit like every part of the rim and then bounced in. Yeah. Yeah. And what that was that was ten eleven. So they started off. We'll finish up after this. But I want to look. You made me think of it, and I want to see what they what the record was to start the season. It was oh come on, not the postseason. You were computers are worthless sometimes. They were they were three and eight after a loss to the Nuggets in Denver, and then they went on. That's when they went on that crazy stretch of wins but then lost the game to Boston when Amari hit the three just after the buzzer and that was for I believe that game was for first place if they would have if they would have won and then it kind of evened out from there so that dropped them to 16 and 10 they lost five of their next seven and from there, it kind of they went back to being a below five hundred below five hundred team. But they did have they had that one stretch where Amari went just completely berserk, where they won a bunch of games. That, and then obviously the the twenty twelve season, where I think the most fun that I have had watching basketball, like Knicks basketball, in quite some time. Um, like 2012 was just I the, the the team had warts of course and and whatever but I mean when when they're winning you don't care everything's fun and tolerable and I thought finally they got the the team around Melo and it was just beautiful and then the Amari stretch just we you know I was happy that we got Amari um just happy we got somebody and um 
you know, we knew about the risk with his injuries, which, of course, reared their ugly head later on. But seeing him go off, it, it felt like it was like we had a slam dunk. It's, it felt like he had another gear we didn't know about, you know, and he was just going just berserk. And uh, it, it was a ton of fun. And I think that game was wasn't in the middle of that that Celtics game where he almost hit the game winner, but he was like a fraction of a second too late. Did you not? Li- you just tuned me out completely. Oh, you brought it up. I literally said that. Yeah, that was when they streaked. So they went from three and eight. Yeah. To sixteen and nine. So I think that's what that's thirteen and one. If I'm any good at that. Yeah, but, but that was the Amari streak. Yes, that was during the Amari streak when he went berserk, and then right after that, they played the Celtics. Uh, and that was the game. They lost 118-116 at the Garden, and he hit the – everyone who's listening that actually listened to me, because I'm assuming they're listening to the podcast <laughs> listened, unlike my co-host here, Kyle. I mean, I, I don't talk that much. Jesus. <laughs> that game <laughs> was so Amari fun. That, and then they went – so they went from 16-9 and nine to right before they got mellow was 28-26. and 26. So they hit the – they started off bad. They hit the thirteen and one stretch, and then they went back to being mad again. Oh, that that season was fun, and also maybe the most overrated Knicks stretch of basketball at the same time. Positively, but we were just so happy to have a not total dumpster fire team for once. That the one that remotely resembled the decent basketball team felt like such a fucking home run, which is almost back to where I'm at now. Like if the team won like thirty five games next year, I'd be ecstatic. You know, just over the moon. So when I think they went forty, they went forty-two and forty that year, right? Yeah, and it took them winning. Like they they hit a stretch where they looked like they weren't going to win again after they got mellow. What they lost eight of nine, I believe. But then they finally got their shit together and won seven in a row to get to forty-two and thirty-eight. And then when they didn't play really at the end of the season, they lost their last two. Hmm. And then they got smacked in the those first two games. The the mellow game two uh, when the entire team was hurt was the Knicks' best performance I think since Ewing I, I, by a sing, by a singular player. It, it it gets honestly when people talk about like masterful playoff performances, it doesn't get brought up, and I think that's partly because it's mellow and it is what it is, and the Knicks, and I get it, but. Um, that was like master class. He was everywhere. Like anytime you needed him, he would like it was a big rebound, especially. He was like a monster on the boards that game. Um big buckets obviously, but he just I I, ne- I don't think I'd ever seen him so engaged. Like all the other games that we've ever seen even the great games that he's had, he's never been like that active, you know? Like I I don't know how to describe what we saw from him that game. It, it was it was beautiful. It, it was kind of the perfect encapsulation of his career really is kind of that game being that game two against Boston and then 12-13, the game six, being his two best and most important play games and the team... In no, he, he made the pass to Jeffries at the end and didn't shoot because people... People got on him the game before in game one for taking the three when Amari was going off and he didn't have the great game and they lost by two. 
And then the game he was going off, he tried to pass it to Jared Jeffries when they needed a bucket, and it didn't work. And then in that Pacers, in that Pacers game six, he played so unbelievable, and then had like those two or three turnovers plus the Hibbert block, and they just fell apart. I, I, I felt like that Hibbert block was the perfect encapsulation of Melo. Like, so I felt like if he had just gotten the dunk to go down, things just go differently. And I know that's not how this works, but like him getting swatted and then that being it, and like that's that was the the last thing that we saw that season. Just it felt gross. And I think that he he made two turnovers. I think that were passes. I believe those came after the Hibbert block. Like they still had a chance to win that game after the Hibbert block. They were winning, and it just oh, I'll never I'll never forgive Mike Woodson for that series. Ever. It, I also sort of haven't forgiven Tyson Chandler, but that's neither here nor there. But Chandler also shouldn't have been playing. Like, they should have been playing Mello and Copeland at center like they did in the game at the Garden at the end of the regular season when they smoked them by pulling Hibbert away from the basket. And then Woodson didn't do that once the entire fucking series. He should have done it. During the season, uh, during the series, for sure. Do not disagree. Posi- for sure. He, however, he, played, he, he started Tyson and Martin together. However. I, I, this makes me so mad. I, I get so you, you are retroactively angry, and this was so, this was so, so long ago. But, but, um, <laughs> I, I still get mad. But, um, but, you know, even still, look, he, he, he fucked up. But at the same time, Tyson was not what Tyson needed to be. Even still, it just wasn't an ex- it wasn't a excusable performance. So he, he missed like crazy amounts of time. That he might have not still been physically right. I, I just felt like it, I don't know. I just felt like there was more because then the next season he wasn't quite the same either, and it just it I don't, I don't know what happened there, but um, I don't know how the fuck we ended up here though. It's a long, long season. A long, sad season. All right, you got anything you want to plug and get out there for us before we wrap this up? Um, just stay tuned, folks. Uh, we're working on a lot of stuff, it, and we're we're trying to finish this long, uh, sad and slow season as as well as we can here. I think we have twenty two games left now. Is that what we're down to? So that's that's pretty much it. Just stay tuned. Make sure you're following us on everything. Uh for every social platform you can imagine. Uh just the next wall. And uh again, make sure you give us a five star review and, and rate something nice. That helps us uh keep doing this for you guys. And uh just stay tuned till next time. Yep, and that's the iTunes where you want to give us the uh, five-star review. That is all for this edition of the Nick's Wall Podcast.